Welcome to the GBC Sermon Podcast, a weekly podcast from Gaimia Baptist Church in Sydney, Australia. I'm Mark Grader, Senior Pastor here at GBC, and I trust that wherever you are listening in from, you'll be encouraged by what you hear. This week, we continue our new sermon series entitled The Topography of Discipleship, Finding Our Way as the Church Today. And we're looking at the divine context. In other words, how do we, as a community of faith, create a culture where spending time alone with God is normal? In this message, we have a look at some of the obstacles we face as we seek to make spending time alone with God a normal part of our life together. Uh, Welcome to you this morning. It's great to have you with us, particularly if you are visiting. Just want to begin by reiterating a couple of things that I mentioned in the Friday updates this past week. First of all, uh, while we are here together, to encourage you to commit to being here uh, on a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening. Uh, I know that this is not the easiest way for us to connect with one another, but as this lockdown looks like it's going to be extended for a little while longer, connection is really quite critical. And so while we do want to be Uh, connecting with one another uh, throughout the week. This is one way that we can gather together, and I'd really encourage you to do so, particularly if you fall into one of two categories. One, uh, if you are a young family, I realize that having little kids can be a really difficult time to get everyone gathered together and to sit down and to listen and all of those sorts of things, but do the best that you can to engage to the best of your ability. And to those of you who are relatively new to our community of faith, who perhaps uh, had started to kind of find your way into our community, community just before we went into lockdown, but don't feel like you have necessarily deep enough relational connections to really feel in. Really encourage you to, uh, to, to be here, to participate, to, to learn a little bit more about who we are. And I would like to recommend to all of you, really, uh, the Zoom groups afterwards this morning, an opportunity just to catch up, meet some people. Uh, chat with some people face-to-face out of this service, which is really important. The other thing I really want to encourage you in in the midst of this lockdown, of course, is uh, just to kind of persevere. Uh, I think we all saw the news yesterday uh, with the the protest in the city about how this is tyranny or whatever the case might be. And uh, in reality, I think that we need to see this not just as a matter of adhering to and complying to a public health order, but also to our values of being other folks others focused and trustworthy and ultimately about being disciples. And Jesus said himself in, when he was asked about paying taxes that we are to render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And this feels like one of those circumstances where what we are doing by complying with the health orders is not kind of putting ourselves under some sort of oppressive government regime, but is actually helping those around us. So I'd really encourage you to the best of your ability to comply to the public health order. It's not all always the easiest thing to do, but it's important that we do it. And I'd like to encourage you still, uh, if you have not yet been able to start the vaccination process, to keep persevering until you can get one of those as well. I got my first jab a few weeks ago now uh, and hope to get the second one in a few weeks as well. Looking forward to being fully vaccinated and kind of being part of the solution. So let's, uh, let's do what we can. Again, not just because we want to be good citizens of Australia and New South Wales, but also because we are followers of Jesus. It's actually that, of course, that we're on about as we are in this series that Roxanne mentioned earlier, the topography of discipleship, essentially getting the lay of the land. A topographical map like the image that that is behind me, it tells you kind of how high the elevation or how low the elevation is. And uh, if we know the topography of an area, if we know the lay of the land, then we can trace and track the best way forward. And as a community of faith, not just us, but I think across 
across the Western world, we are entering and have been in a period of time a really tricky space for discipleship. Uh, in an age of relativism and pluralism and secularism, and not to mention an age of a pandemic, how do we go about developing as apprentices to Jesus? That's a really important question for us to grapple with. And this series, which we began last week and will take us all the way through term three, is based on a book entitled Discipleship That Fits by Bobby Harrington and Alex Absalom. And in that book, they, out, they suggest that there are five different relational contexts that God uses uses to develop us as we apprentice ourselves to Jesus, as we learn what it means to follow him. And those relational contexts are, are kind of the, uh, are listed this way, as the public context where we spend time together in a big group like we are now, kind of, uh, that there is the social context where we gather together to be engaged in mission together, where there's the personal context where we are in, say, a life group, um, where we connect with a smaller group of people where we are known, uh, the transparent context, which is where we and one or two other people uh, build a deeper relationship, and as we began last week, the divine context, where we spend time alone with God. You spend time alone with God, and I spend time alone with God. Uh, and uh, the book actually deals with each of these contexts in two distinct chapters. And so we're going to be basically doing much the same. The first week, we want to focus on what it is that that relational context does for our discipleship. How does it help us grow as followers of Jesus? And then the second week, we want to talk a little bit about how, as a community of faith, we can help one another to develop that particular context. So last week when we launched this series, we looked at the divine context and what it does. And to give you the very quick review, in the divine context, when we spend time alone with God, through the Holy Spirit, we are immersed in the truth of who we are and where we are going, our identity and our destiny, and are invited to bring our character and our desires and our priorities into line with that identity and with that destiny. If we are, as we believe, children of God who have been invited to participate with God's plans to restore everything in Jesus Christ through the enabling presence of the Holy Spirit, then that has implications for our character and our desires and our priorities. This is what, doing, uh, this is what happens when we spend time alone with God. But this week, we actually want to discuss what it means for us to be a community of faith where spending time alone with God, where practicing spiritual disciplines is normal. How do we create a culture as a community of faith? How do we create an atmosphere? How do we sustain the sort of community where spending time alone with God, where practicing spiritual disciplines becomes normal? And what I mean by normal is when something has become so accepted that it's easy to talk about and easy to get help. Uh, when uh, when um, our first daughter was born, when Amaris was born a while ago now, uh, I still remember those first conversations with other parents of, of small children and realizing that we were normal, that we were not the only people who couldn't get our child to stay asleep all night, uh, that we were not the only uh, parents who, didn't, who, who just simply couldn't figure out a way to get an overtired child to sleep or pick when they were about to become overtired or whatever the case might be. There was something incredibly powerful about realizing that you were normal. Uh, and when things are normalized that way, it's easier to talk about our struggles and it's easier to ask for help. 
think we've seen this normalizing uh, take place over the last decade, for instance, in the area of mental health. It is a lot easier to talk about mental health now than it was, say, 10 years ago. Uh, there's an, an awareness that I am probably not the only person who feels anxious about the world. There's, there's a realization that uh, going through periods of, of darkness where things seem pretty bleak is, is actually fairly normal. And we are able, I think, in kind of where we're up to, to have those conversations about our mental health, about recognizing that things aren't as good as we might like them to be, that we're not the best version of ourselves, and to reach out for help. I think there's something really powerful in that. How do we as a community of faith develop a culture where it is normal for us to talk about spending time alone with God? Because here's the reality. I mentioned last week that uh, I don't remember anyone sitting down with me and explaining to me uh, how you should spend time alone with God. But I knew at some point, I just kind of imbibed it, that you would spend time in the Word, you'd read the Bible, and you would pray. And you should do that every day. And if you didn't do that every day, then something was horribly wrong. And that sense of being horribly wrong, that sense of not being able to do this effectively, this sense of if I miss a day or a week or a month that, that something is wrong fundamentally with my faith is not particularly conducive to talking about it. Uh, during the week, uh, Matt and Jess and I sat down and recorded the Big Three podcast. It comes out on Wednesdays three questions that we address out of the previous week's message. And one of the topics that we discussed was actually the guilt that we can often feel when we don't spend time alone with God as regularly as we believe that we ought to. And so what I want to do this morning is not really so much unpack a passage of scripture, although I'll refer to some passages, nor to talk necessarily about a theological idea as much as I want to discuss what it looks like for us to be a community of faith where it's more normal to spend time alone with God where we can talk about not only what goes well for us, but also where we struggle and where it's easier to get help. And so I want to begin by just talking a little bit about the expectations that we have about spending time with God. And there are a couple of, I think, really significant expectations that we tend to have. Uh, one on, I guess, others, one on God, and then one on kind of what happens when we meet with him. I think it's easy for us to assume that everyone else that we see at church has a vibrant, life-giving, amazing relationship with God. That they are killing it when it comes to spending time alone with God. And that when they do that, and they obviously do that every single day, probably waking up early to do so, they have profound experiences with God. Their pot plants burst into flame but are not consumed so they can take off their shoes and stand on holy ground. That the vision of Jesus that they have, he is transfigured before them in glory and Moses and Elijah join them. That there's beams of light and halos and cherubs whizzing around and wheels within wheels of turning. They're caught up into the third heaven and we we sit there thinking to ourselves, I've struggled to do this once in the last six weeks, and it was nothing like that. Those sorts of expectations are crippling. They're crippling. Because if I assume that everyone around me is doing this and having these profound experiences of God, 
then I am not going to be willing at all to talk about the fact that I struggled to do this once a week or twice a week or once a month. And that when I open scripture, I don't find kind of beams of light and halos. I just find questions and confusion and uncertainty about what I'm supposed to do that I find prayer hard. So I think we need to kind of pare back our expectations a little bit. You know, there are many believers who have life-giving disciplines and rhythms that they have worked hard at to develop. But for many of us, and myself included, this is not the easiest thing to do. There is a discipline to it. Uh, There is a pattern to it. Uh, Our life stage uh, has implications in that. There's all sorts of things that impinge upon and shape our relationship with God. And so let's begin, first of all, by just acknowledging that while there may be times when there are beams of light and halos and cherubs whizzing around, that often what we're dealing with is just the discipline of learning to turn our hearts and minds to God. And that is not always an easy thing to do. I know from the conversations that I have with many people that most people don't have it all together. Uh, not, not just in their entire lives, but just in the area of spending time alone with God. Uh, it's not always the easiest thing to do. And recognizing, like just a, like a parent does or like someone who experiences anxiety and realizes that that's probably not abnormal, but it's probably normal, is an opportunity for us to discuss. An opportunity to talk with one another about what this looks like and to improve. Now, can I just say, don't hear me saying then that you know, just because it's hard or difficult or we're not particularly good at it, that we shouldn't work at it. If you have your Bibles with you and want to turn to Matthew chapter 6, uh, Jesus, um, in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount, as it's so-called, chapters 5, 6, and 7 of, Go- of, the, of Matthew's gospel, Jesus makes it very clear that he has some expectations on us as his followers that we will be about some of the disciplines, the spiritual practices of spending time alone with God. So beginning in chapter 6, Jesus talks about three different practices, about giving, about prayer, and about fasting. And I want to draw your attention to a particular word that I think is critical for us. In chapter 6, verse 2, Jesus says, So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets. I'm good on that part. Don't own a trumpet. I've never announced my giving via trumpet. The idea here that Jesus is addressing is not to seek to gain, um, not to gain kudos with the public for what we do uh, and should be doing in private. But notice that he says, when you give to the needy. There's an expectation here that we will give to the needy, that there will be opportunity uh, and there will be um, uh, the, the, the resources for us to do that. When you give, he talks about how you should do that. If you skip ahead to verse five, he says something similar. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. He talks about going away into a a prayer closet, right? Finding a private place and there praying. Not so much to be private, but in part to make sure that what we are doing is for God and for God alone. But notice it's when you pray. And then finally, he talks about fasting, verse 16. When you fast. 
There's an expectation that Jesus has that we will indeed be practicing some of these spiritual disciplines in order to deepen our appreciation of who we are and where we are going and align our character, desires, and priorities with that. This is the expectation. But can I just say, notice that while Jesus talks about giving and fasting and prayer, he doesn't talk, for instance, about spending time reading the Bible. Now, I don't think that's because the Bible was unimportant to Jesus. He obviously knew it very, very well. I think it speaks into the simple fact that for most of people, most people in Jesus's day, they had no access to scripture and couldn't have read it if they had. For the vast, um, vast majority of human history, literacy has actually been quite low. And so for we who have the Bible with us and can read it, I think we should, it's a reminder that there are actually many, 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 many ways that we can develop our relationship with the Lord. There are lots of practices that believers have practiced for centuries that don't necessarily revolve around reading a portion of Scripture, as helpful as that is. Matt and Rock's are going to be talking a little bit about the discipleship menu for this week. And we've included five practices that are kind of not Bible-centric, although there is one around memorization, but an opportunity for us to kind of do some simple things that can be interspersed throughout our day that are different than what a traditional quiet time or daily devotion might necessarily be. So stay tuned for that at the end. The other thing to keep in mind, of course, when we're talking about spiritual disciplines and practices is, is that they are practices and disciplines. And therefore, they take some work. You consider reading the Bible. You know, we believe that the Holy Spirit is active when we spend time alone with God and that part of what we experience and, and what we learn and what we are led to is uh, through the Holy Spirit's prompting. And we don't need a, a PhD or uh, some sort of uh, extraordinary skill level to begin to read the Bible. But can I just say... As someone who uh, has been reading the Bible for 30 years, there are some skills that you can learn. There are some techniques and some disciplines that you can develop. And the idea that we should spend time with God and that when we do that, we'll just kind of pick up our Bible and it'll all become clear. Or that the first time we pray, we'll be able to pray for hours and hours at a time. Or the first time that we meditate, we won't be distracted at all or on and on it goes is a little bit ludicrous. These are skills that we learn. And when we learn, that takes some of the pressure off, doesn't it? I, I, I don't have to be the expert right away. I can just begin where I am. I can begin where I am and learn and grow. And I think sometimes, sometimes we can, um, we can give the impression that you should just read the Bible and boy, oh boy, it's just going to change your life. And while I believe that by the Holy Spirit, I also have learned that there are skills and disciplines that all spiritual practices involve. We need to be a little bit kinder to ourselves as we learn and develop these sorts of disciplines. And it's normal when you're learning something new to struggle. It's normal when you're learning something new to have no idea what you're doing. It's normal to then ask for help, to talk to others about what you're learning and to figure it out together. 
We will be talking more about how we can help one another when we look at the transparent context next week, uh, where we, along with one or two other people, really develop a, a deep, trusting, close relationship in order to help us become more like Jesus. That'll be the perfect spot to have these sorts of conversations. But I want to remind you of a couple other things before we wrap up. I think it's, it's important that we recognize that there are certain skills, disciplines, and practices that we will have to learn to master uh, as, we, uh, as we seek to spend time alone with God. But I want to remind you about two really important things. First of all, that ultimately what we are engaged in, even though there are skills and practices, we are engaged in a relationship. It's a relationship with God. Um, before lockdown, I uh, would catch up with a couple mates. Uh, most Fridays, we meet at a pub, have a couple of drinks, and uh, catch up on the week. Uh, and I'll tell you one of the things that I did not do. I did not walk back to my car after we'd caught up and, and grade the conversation. I never walked back to my car thinking to myself, well, that was a four out of 10. I'm gonna have to work a lot harder at my uh, conversational skills and my emotional awareness in order to make the next one a little bit better. That's not the important thing in a relationship, is it? When you're in a relationship, the most important thing is to spend time in that relationship. That, that's, that's the point of investment. Uh, it, it's not really important whether the conversation is uh, amazing and whether there's lots of laughter and incredible topics of conversation or deep sharing. That's kind of beside the point. The point is we got to catch up. We got to hang out with each other and that's the nature of relationship. We need to spend time with God. But I think we can sometimes have an expectation of what God expects of us as well. That somehow meeting with God is a little bit like meeting with the queen. Now, I've never met with the queen, but I can imagine that it would be a little bit stilted. I can imagine that you'd be so worried about the protocols, making sure that you did or did not do the right or wrong things in the midst of that conversation. It would feel quite formal and stiff. And we are building a relationship with the creator of the universe who sustains all things by his will. That can seem a little bit daunting. And it's true, I think, that God has uh, expectations for us that we will allow in spending time with him, his Holy Spirit and the truth of his word to shape our identity so that we know that we are his children, that he desperately wants us to understand our purpose, our reason for being to participate with what he is doing in the world to restore everything in Christ Jesus. And that he wants us to be people whose character matches his as best as is possible. That our desires might be his desires, that our heart might be his, that our priorities might be his and shaped by him. That is God's desire for each one of us. But as we begin, as we start out, I think God's Happiness and delight is in any step we take. C.S. Lewis, the relatively well-known English writer of last century, came to faith quite late in his life, describes this in his book, Mere Christianity, uh, when he talks about God and compares God to a parent who is delighted at the first small step their child takes. 
as they stand by the coffee table tottering and then take one or two independent steps before falling down. I mean, every parent is delighted at that. It's shared on social media. Everyone's excited they took their first steps. No parent, C.S. Lewis says, is content with a child who can only take two steps before they fall over. The desire for our children is that they might be able to walk and run and leap and dance and do everything, but we are no less delighted and excited at any small step they take. I think this is God's attitude towards us. And there's an example in the book of Jonah. You don't necessarily have to turn to it. You might be familiar with the story. Uh, Jonah and the whale tends to be one of those stories that everyone's at least vaguely aware of. But in the story of Jonah, uh, Jonah shows, he's, uh, he's sent to the people of Nineveh. Uh, that's the capital city of Assyria, the sworn enemies of the people of Israel. And Jonah wants nothing to do with it. And uh, in fact, runs away from God in the other direction. Uh, God sends a storm to chase him down uh, and Jonah's like, fine, be that way and convinces the sailors to throw him overboard thinking that way. If I go to the bottom of the sea, then I cannot be called on this task. God provides a fish who swallows him and three days later spits him on the shore and Jonah is called a second time to go to Nineveh. Knowing a lost cause when he sees one, he decides to go. And when he arrives at Nineveh, he preaches what I think is probably the worst sermon, or at least the worst, worst delivered sermon in all of Scripture. Because Jonah wants the people of Nineveh to die. He doesn't want them to be forgiven. He wants them to face the judgment of God. And so he proclaims, in 40 days, God is going to destroy the city. I'm going outside to watch. And after that incredibly passionate plea, something remarkable happens. The people of Nineveh, hear the word of the Lord and respond. In fact, when word gets to the king, the king actually steps off of his throne, takes off his royal robes and puts on sackcloth. He kind of puts on the Hessian sacks and sits in ashes and then sends out a decree to all of his people. And this is where it moves from remarkable to actually a little bit humorous. I do think the Bible is meant occasionally to make us laugh and I think this is one of them. Because the declaration that he sends out is this, by decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. I just want you to picture that for a moment. Now, we're fairly familiar, if you have read through the Old Testament, of people putting on sackcloth and sitting in ashes or dust to symbolize their humility before God. That's pretty normal. But nowhere else in Scripture are animals included. Can't you just see the king's stewards having ditched their royal silk robes for some sort of Hessian bag that's pretty chafy when it gets right down to it, chasing the goats through the paddock, trying to put Hessian sacks on them, chasing after the chickens and the roosters? Like the people of Israel would have been cacking themselves at this picture of the Ninevites who don't even know how to repent properly. <laughs> Animals. Verse 10. When God saw what they did, and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. God sees through the humorous attempt to please him to the heart that sought to please him. And he responded. Some of our attempts to spend time alone with God might be pretty Ninevitean. 
they're not going to look particularly polished. We might look back on our early attempts and think, oh, well, that didn't work very well. But if our heart, if our heart desires to spend time alone with God, then God will accept with delight our first stumbling footsteps towards him. And by the empowerment of his Holy Spirit, continue to lead and teach and guide us into all fullness. This is what we are called to as a community of faith. To take our first stumbling steps forward. To continue to learn the disciplines that perhaps we have worked very hard to develop. To to not set aside old things, but to pick up some new things. To experiment with different ways of encountering God and allowing Him to encounter and impinge upon our lives and upon our world that we might be people who follow after Jesus and mature as his followers. I trust that you've been encouraged in this uh, to, to continue not only to learn what it means to spend time alone with God, but perhaps with one or two people that you know well to have the conversation, to talk about what you do or what you have tried and how it's worked, to ask them what they've done and how it's worked, to help one another as we seek to spend time with God in order that we might know who we are, where we are going, and align our character and our desires and our priorities to His. Spending time alone with God is an important part of our discipleship, but isn't always an easy thing to do. I hope and pray that you might begin to find some life-giving rhythms and practices that deepen your relationship with God and, in so doing, reinforce who you are, where you are going, and the character, desire, and choices that align with them. Due to the current public health order, our facilities remain closed to the public. If you'd like to join us for worship this week, you will need to do so online. Our services this week are at 9.30 a.m., and 6 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time, and you can join in by logging on to www.gbconline.org.au. Keep an eye out on social media platforms for any changes to this as well. Until then, God bless. God bless.